Hey, it's Brian, your lunatic friend. We're talking about Jesus and music in the 1970s. It's easier to look back at a decade, a half century later, point out the significance, start talking about what a special time it was, because now we have the luxury of weeding out the minutiae and the daily grind when all you can do is put one foot in front of the other. By 1976, the news had moved on from the Jesus people story. Sure, everybody's there when the rock hits the pond, but nobody wants to hang around for the ripple effect. By 1976, I'd been playing with a Sweet Comfort Band for three years. And there was nothing sensational about the gigs we were doing. It was just on to the next one. At this point, I would describe our progress like the broken lines in the middle of the highway. We would have a long stretch, like the paint stripe next to the fast lane, too busy to even look up, but it would be followed by absolute dead calm for weeks at a time. When we were home, we would have rehearsals every single evening. We were all working side jobs, and we'd have just enough time to get to rehearsal. We would write songs in our downtime and rehearse arrangements. We'd started rehearsing in Kevin's garage after we got those little carpet tiles that you could put on the walls. It was like a real rehearsal studio. And it had air conditioning. Some days I remember driving home pretty depressed. Because between work and rehearsal, I remember thinking, I'm 23 and I don't have a social life. And yeah, there were a lot of days when I had to remind myself who I was. Because a lot of times it sure didn't look like it. What's funny is I watch movies now and they have these storylines where the kids are all partying at the club. I have no experience with that. And based on the movies I've seen, I don't think I've missed anything. But toward the end of 1976, I was still broke. And I remember celebrating Christmas in the driveway next to my garage with a guy that had just moved in next door, Bob Gould. Christmas Day, neither of us had any place to go. So we sat in lawn chairs in the driveway and ate burritos from the place down the street. It was a drive through called Noggles. Bob Gould was a carpet layer, and I would eventually start working with him. I still remember that one time where we tried to make mac and cheese over at his house because he had a kitchen. You're supposed to throw a noodle up against the wall, he said. And if it sticks, you know the noodles are ready. So I had half a bowl of noodles on the floor from throwing them at the wall. By the time one stuck, I had burned the mac and cheese. We were both so irritated and tired of waiting, we threw the whole bowl at the wall. And that stain would remain there for as long as Bob was in that apartment. After the mac and cheese incident, we decided the drive through was the best way to live. I was used to fast food anyway. On the road, the band always ate at McDonald's. But then sometimes we'd take a break from driving and have lunch at Denny's. Reminds me of a time when Rick, our drummer, would earn a nickname. We were driving north on the 99 on the way to Santa Rosa. Two and a half hours past Bakersfield, we stopped for lunch at Denny's. Kevin had been driving. The rest of us were sleeping, reading a newspaper, or listening to cassettes on headphones. Every time we stopped, we would change drivers, and Rick decided it was his turn to drive. So he gets behind the wheel. The rest of us pile into the van. Nobody's really paying attention. Rick gets back on the freeway, drives for about an hour and a half. That's when somebody noticed that the scenery was starting to look familiar. Hey, I thought we passed this exit earlier this morning. We checked the map. We looked for signs. We were on the right highway. Only we were going south instead of north. We would be rock star late for our own gig that night. And we would introduce our drummer as Wrong Way Ricky. We were still opening our set with a song called Sweet Salvation that Bill Sprouse from Road Home had written. But he had died unexpectedly at 26 years of age. We were all in our 20s at the time, so it was a shock to have someone pass away. But Bill probably weighed about 400 pounds. Still, he was a great songwriter. His band, Road Home, would record on Maranatha 4, one of the biggest songs on that record. Since I met Jesus. Another band, Daniel Amos, would also make one of his songs the title track on a record called Shotgun Angel. And I would write a song about him called Golden Ages. There is a man I will remember. And we would get a call from Maranatha asking us to record that song for Maranatha 5. And it would be our first ever recording. Finally, we were about to see our name under a song we had written on a recorded project 
project. And it would endorse us in a way that we had never been endorsed before. Our name would be right there next to the most notable bands and singers at the time. At least in the Calvary Chapel, Southern California circles. Groups like Daniel Amos. It was a six-man band that started about the same time we did. Their singer was Terry Taylor. I liked him because he had a sarcastic sense of humor and clever songwriter. But in the early days, Daniel Amos had a tendency to lean more into the country style. And even Bill Sprouse, who wrote Shotgun Angel, had somehow gotten the memo that country twang was the popular thing. On that same record was Mustard Seed Faith. Originally just called Mustard Seed, they were a three-piece acoustic group with a flute player. Completely bohemian. But then my friend Louis McVeigh joined them as a drummer, and singer Odin Fong would add electric guitar. He was a new believer from North Hollywood, the son of a popular actor at the time. They became Mustard Seed Faith when Saturday night someone introduced them wrong. It was easy to get band names confused. There were a lot of faith bands. We already had Country Faith and Gentle Faith and Blind Faith with Eric Clapton. Why not Mustard Seed Faith? They already had a full project out called Sail on Sailor, released back in 1973, and they used Rick Griffin, a well-known artist, to do the album cover. Lewis would tell me that they paid for that album in the first month just based on the artwork. But not everybody on this record was either country or mellow rock. There was one group that loved the blues. He played a blues harp, a guy who would eventually have a longer solo career. Daryl Mansfield's band at the time was called Gentle Faith, but their name didn't fit the style of music or the bombastic way that Daryl would preach over a groove. There were two other bands on this record. Parable had two lead singers, a guy and a girl, and a country group originally called Bethlehem Steel because they had a steel guitar player. And solo artists, Fred Field, violinist with Love Song, and singer-songwriters Bob Cull and Eric Nelson. And we did concerts with most of these groups. Sadly, though, we never shared the stage with Bill Sprouse. But I would never miss his concerts if I was around. And in honor of him, they ended this record with one of his songs. He is singing a melody he would add to a scripture in the book of Psalms, chapter 5. And it would be the most memorable song on that record, a simple worship song. They were the perfect words for every singer that ever wanted to write. Give ear to my words, oh Lord. And that song would be sung in every Calvary Chapel all the way up the West Coast. At the time, it never crossed our mind that singing songs that people could sing in church was going to be the way of the future. But our aim would always be focused on the disenfranchised, people on the outside looking in. I miss the days when every service had special music presented by everyday believers singing of their personal faith. Thanks to this podcast, I can still do that. Share your experiences too in the comments. And thanks for supporting this effort.